Welcome to Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. More pioneer takes on the show tonight as we prepare to celebrate the days of 47 across the Beehive State. John Saltis, founder and publisher of Salt Lake City Weekly, the alternative paper here in town, will share his stories of Greek pioneers and immigrants. Also, writer Jeremy Pugh with a Pioneer Day road trip he'd like to suggest. Pew's latest book is the history, culture, and urban legend guidebook, Secret Salt Lake City, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. And Jeremy gets us started tonight with his pick for our Songs of Summer playlist. You know, I've been listening to a lot of Baba O'Reilly for some reason, that song. I don't know why, but it's, it's calling to me. <laughs> All right, so who are you sending this who out to? Oh, I'd send this out to Mary Maloof if she could get it. From Jeremy, sending it out into the cosmos for Mary, The Who, Baba O'Reilly, Songs of Summer on the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for tuning in for the Radioactive Summer Break tonight, right here on KRCL, Listener's Community Radio of Utah. I've got another pick for our Songs of Summer playlist from our next guest, John Saltis, founder and publisher of Salt Lake City Weekly, the alternative newspaper in town. But first, I asked John about pioneers and the Greek community in Utah. You are a uh, proud Greek. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, three quarters, one quarter of mine is part of that stripe that marched down Main Street because they were here in 1847 on my grandmother's LDS side. But, you know, when we were young and we would go down to like the days of 47 parade, I was definitely an outsider. I mean, it seemed like, oh, that's their parade. They're the pioneers, and the rest of us are just kind of reaping the spoils or, or, or being allowed to live here, you know, in, amongst the spoiled. And so you really didn't have a place for that in my, like, uh, celebratory chart, you know, just another day. After a while, it became kind of silly to, to even try to enjoy it because there wasn't a place for uh, either non, mostly non-Mormon, right? Yeah. So... Later on, it did change, right? Somebody tried, they changed it from, wasn't it called Days of 47 once to Pioneer Day? Yeah, something, something like that. Like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, tried to become more embracing of other pioneers. And on the three sides of my family that are Greek, they were, the Greek word is protopori, that means pioneer. Uh, the first people to come here, right? That uh, They were pioneers also. So, you know, maybe we don't have a place in the parade, Um but we do have a place in Utah's history annals for being pioneering in this, uh, in this state. I mean, that goes back to 1906, only 10 years after Utah became a state. That's when they became, that's when they came here. So uh, I'm glad to see the other pioneers have a spot. And it's, and to me, it's not just a, what you did. Like uh, a pioneer doesn't mean like, just a guy that a woman who family who just arrived here and there was nothing here. Pioneering is also ideas. And that's, um, that's something that's really changing in Utah. I think there, there are finally some real pioneering ideas that are moving our state culturally forward. And that's, that's, I like to see. So talk to me a bit about the Greek history in Utah. And are there any Greek pioneers for, we'll go with that term for our interview, John, that you'd like to shout out because uh, I've seen quite a bit of the Hellenic history over the years, but maybe there are a few that you'd like to spotlight. Can you tell you mean Greek yeah, pioneers? Yeah. Because there was, there was Visus who comes from our town of Megan back in Greece. He settled Odessa and uh, 
<laughs> a great explorer, Syracuse and uh, Sicily and all that kind of stuff. So they've been Greek pioneers. But you mean coming to Utah? Yeah. There's not uh, there's not a one that pioneered. What happened was, you know, it was the Industrial Revolution. And so cheap labor was badly needed in this country. And they, labor agents were sent across Europe to find Southern Europe, especially to find that cheap labor. And they rounded up people like my grandparents and said, Hey, you know, there's gold on the streets in, in the United States. Literally that's part of the line. And, uh, you know, you're going to become rich and wealthy and all that stuff. And so masses of people came, you know, it was, a, it was a movement, not a, not a move man or move woman. And, um, they, they, they came thousands and thousands and thousands just at one time and just clustered in their own communities all over the place. Where I grew up in Bingham, there were enclaves of Greek, Japanese, Mexican, Serbian, Croatian, French, Scandinavian, German. And so they were, you know, amongst people just like them, but just looked different. So you grew up in Bingham. And then as uh, you go out in the world, um, tell me how you tried to keep that Greek heritage close or or how you've done that and why that's important. I think mine is uh, very different from many people in that, you know, we didn't walk around carrying the Greek flag and and that kind of stuff. Greek was spoken in our homes, like at celebratory things. I didn't grow up speaking Greek, but neither did my parents. My, My father, however, was fluent Greek. But they didn't speak Greek often outside the home. And uh, so it wasn't like a Greeky thing when I was younger. It was more that I don't know what I am thing, but I don't fit thing. And so, you know, pretty soon you start clustering with, you know, my buddies were all the ethnics and, and the rowdy Mormons, right? So they weren't, we weren't all doing the same thing under one banner, except like, Hey, let's, uh, let's just hang out together. So it wasn't like being Greeky. It wasn't like we are the pioneers of that. There was so many other cultures and stuff that had the same thing, uh, same shared experience. When I moved into the Valley for the first time, it was the real rude awakening for me to be know that there really was a different Utah because being in Canyon, as I've said it before, it was in Utah, but it wasn't of Utah. And it just wasn't. I mean, people, being in Canyon experience was probably no different than, you know, suburbs of Chicago, the, the meatpacking areas, or Cleveland, or steel mills in Pittsburgh. Those, those kind of ethnic communities are no different than what I grew up in. And that wasn't Utah. I moved to the Valley, and... Uh, you know, the neighbors looked in your backyard and they were suspicious if you moved your garbage on a certain day or mowed your lawn. You know, it was just a, I locked doors for the first time. It was, it was very, very different to come into the valley and see, didn't really feel like what an outsider really felt. It was, it was different for me. How have you worked with that over your life? Because I understand now, and in fact, later this year, you go to Greece quite a bit. You're going to be going back again. Yeah, I, I, I didn't ever not have Greek things in my life. My grandfather from Crete lived to be 94. I knew, you know, he's a good old friend of mine. And uh, he, he, he taught me many things and told me many stories. He was, you know, he was in the coal mines and throughout the coal country in Carbon County, Colorado, 
when labor unions were being formed. He was among their early members. He was the early member of the Greek lodges that were formed. And he, he you know, he, he passed on lots of stuff to me and a lot of oral histories that I always knew, but I didn't really know how to embrace because there was nowhere else. Old people were dying off. And the young people were growing up like, not in denial of the Greek thing, but basically saying we need to assimilate. And, uh, you know, not a lot of Greek spoken and so on. But as you get a little bit older, you kind of gain an appreciation for uh, the things that happened on both sides of my family. And so um, I started to, you know, read more, study more. Helen Papanicholas was her name. She was a fabulous historian of the West and in particularly of the Greek community. She's very well known and well revered, well loved. She became a friend and she told me many things. I read all of her books. That was probably a reawakening. I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s when it began. And yeah, now I go to Greece quite a bit, going in September with 36 people. Come along. It's a city weekly <laughs> Greece trip. We do it every year. Anybody who'd like to come, just give me a holler. And uh, it's a great trip. But anyway, I, I, uh, I just became more aware of that Greek side of me more and more, not more Greeky, but more aware of that. I'm, I'm a United States citizen. I'm a Utah, but I, I, uh, I do like Greek food. <laughs> I'm right yeah. there with you on that score. Yeah. Well, John, one of the things that we're doing is we're playing songs this summer as well. So I thought maybe there's a song you'd like to send out to everybody during this pioneer season that we're in. Uh, what do you got? What's on when I say oh, summer and you think of your playlist, what's on there? You know, I don't have a current playlist. But whenever somebody says summer song, I always think to when I was young, and I just always thought it was, uh, there's, there were a couple like uh, Dock of the Bay and Up on Under the Boardwalk. Those are probably my favorites uh, among the summer songs, you know. Um, but weirdly, there's a song, and I can't remember who did it, but it was, uh, Well, I See You in September was the, uh, was the song. And it just, you know, in those junior high years, early high school years, it was just one of those like pans to like broken heartedness and oh. <laughs> you know, school was over and oh my God, am I going to see you in September? You coming back when the summer's through and all that kind of stuff. It was just a real pretty old song. I always liked that one. Well, you know, another one I liked mm -hmm. to be honest was uh, school's out. Alice Cooper. <laughs> I'm torn now, but yeah, I, those are two kind of different ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. But I think we can work with that though. Who do you want to send this out to uh, as we, are enjoying our pioneer uh, heritage of whatever I would stripe. Like to send it out to, as I said earlier, I don't have an identity for them, a name for them, but anybody, it's too late to pioneer and discover the physical attributes of much of Utah, right? So I would celebrate anybody with new ideas, new ways of looking at things culturally, looking at how to improve our state, how to, uh, you know, open your eyes and and become more of a worldly citizen instead of a secular, you know, I'm just into myself citizen and uh, learn to share the good things that we all have. I think last year was probably a bitter but good lesson uh, through COVID. You, you know, the unfortunate part was it was broken down in uh, too quickly into political lines. Uh, enough is enough. People died. Too many people died and it's becoming more and more known why they did um, because of ignorance or obstinance or not getting information. And now we have to find that way. And I think it is happening a little bit. People are kind of 
holding on to each other because of a shared negative experience instead of a positive experience. And and I, I think that's happening. I hope I'm right. That that the people are finally coming around a little bit and and then and saying me too. Yeah, me too. I, I get it. I know where you've been. And um, that's a pioneering thing to me in this era is to finally get along after a few years of not getting along. And I see little pieces of that, and I hope it can continue. And that's John Saltis of City Weekly, where his bio reads, John Saltis, a lamb-eating, Bingham Canyon native, City Weekly fellow who'd rather be in Greece. Thank you for giving me some time from your garden on Zoom, John. And here's that song of summer that you requested. See you in September. The Happenings on KRCL 90.9. I'll be alone each and every night while you're away to the radioactive summer break, I'm Laura Jones. Weeknights at 6 here on KRCL, I'm passing the mic to folks up to good trouble or, in the case of my next guest, just some good fun. In addition to being editor of Salt Lake Magazine, Jeremy Pugh is a writer who's published 100 Things to Do in Salt Lake City Before You Die, and most recently, Secret Salt Lake City, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. With Pioneer Day this weekend, I asked him to put together a special road trip for us. Here's that conversation. We've had John before talking about this book, but I really wanted to kind of focus on a pioneer aspect of your secret Salt Lake City. So where should we start? Well, obviously, there's a lot of things in this book that are are, uh, related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormons, as we uh, colloquially and historically know them. Um, and I think a great Pioneer Day outing, uh, since we have this nice long weekend, courtesy of Brigham Young and, and his settlers who came here in 1847, uh, would be to start right at the heart of it all, uh, Temple Square. Temple Square is open again. Uh, they're still doing a lot of construction. Uh, but uh, one of the items in my book is the Siegel Monument, which is a monument to sort of an apocryphal tale of uh, when the Mormons first came here, they, you know, of course, planted crops and tried to get things going. And a, a, a pestilence of crickets uh, came in. And as the story goes, uh, uh, a, a flock of seagulls, a large flock of seagulls, obviously, uh, came and, and saved the crops. And so in the heart of Temple Square, there is a giant monument to a seagull, which is also Utah's state bird. Uh, which is interesting because there's not really an ocean anywhere nearby. But ah, <laughs> uh, the Great Salt Lake used to be Lake the Bonneville. Great Salt Lake. Yes, 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 and it is a a a, a big bird place. So, but uh, uh, yeah, that's that's a good place to start for your Pioneer Day outing. And then I would suggest uh, stopping by the cornerstone on the temple. Uh, it's right on the, the corner of Temple Square, the wall around Temple Square, and it's the heart of the grid system. Uh, the, the Salt Lake was mapped out on a grid system, which was sort of an early uh, GPS, if you will. And um, as anyone who grew up here knows, you can always tell where you are, and all roads lead to Temple Square. And there is a cornerstone that is this sort of central point for this grid system. It's not that much to look at, but it's interesting to note. Um, and then I'd suggest going up to Ensign Peak, up uh, above the avenues uh, behind Capitol, the state Capitol. That was the point where Brigham and his uh, his surveyors, I suppose, 
when they arrived, went up to lay out the grid system and the plan for the city. Um, it's, it's a nice little hike, gives you a great view of the city. There's a, there's a monument up there to that occasion and to the importance of Ensign Peak, which was the, the perch from which they surveyed, you know, the, the land they were going to build, as, as you will, make the desert bloom like a rose was the quote that Brigham said. And part um, of, again, leading back to your first spot, the grid system. The grid system, yeah, they they could they could see it all in their heads, and then they actually went and built it, and and I think we're all really grateful for it. And then I, you know, another uh, pioneering thing to do it would be to go way up north to the Golden Spike National Monument. This is the place where the two sides of the East West Railroad were joined with a Golden Spike. Um, it's a very important part, part of Utah history and a, and a very important part of American history because it basically paved the way for opening up the West when you didn't, so you could travel by train. And it, it changed, the coming of the railroad was a big deal uh, because it, it really changed the insular state of the station. It brought, you know, in the beginning, of course, it brought railroad workers and people of different uh, nationalities and ethnicities uh, into the state, work railroad workers. And then as, as the country opened up, which is a phrase we've been using a lot lately, you know, more, more and more outsiders or non-Mormons um, came to the state and helped build the state, uh, you know, sort of from a business sense, I think, uh, beyond, it, you know, it really was a, a changing time. It, it sort of diversified the state, uh, uh, from from being this sort of insular, maybe a little secretive group of people that lived out in the desert to, to having to sort of deal with the rest of the world, if you will. And that is Golden Spike National Historic Site, which yes, uh, I understand correct. the two replica trains at Golden Spike National Historic Site, they're not just brought out on the anniversary date of the connection, but they're lined up in their historic face-to-face positions on Saturdays and holidays from May through Labor Day, so that should include... Pioneer Day, folks. Pioneer Day. Yeah, yeah. So they line them up and you can kind of see they do a little reenactment for you out there. And it's it's a it's a cool place. I mean, you know, trains, <laughs> you know, and, and and a lot of a lot of history, impactful history to to both our state and nation. That's up in Promontory so, Summit. I understand you have another uh, secret Salt Lake City pick that goes with this nicely. Yeah, I would say if you're all the way up north, as we say. Uh, to promontory, you should also take uh, pack some water and some snacks and head out to the spiral jetty, which is a uh, pioneering uh, piece of land art that um, is really quite visible now because the water in the lake is so low and it's 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 a collection of of it's an earthwork basically a collection of rocks that are designed in a spiral that can be viewed from the edge of the Great Salt Lake and at this point even walked on. So, um, and that, I think those two pair really well, actually, as a, as a, as a, because you're, you know, you're already kind of that far north and it's a part of the state. I think a lot of people haven't explored and, you know, I think it'd be a really pioneering activity to, to, you know, head out to the desert and check all that stuff out. Writer Jeremy Pugh, author of Secret Salt Lake City, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure, co-written with the late Mary Brown Maloof. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the book, and let me know if you try out his road trip this weekend or any time this summer. 
You can email me, radioactive at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, Emily's Mixtape at 8, Maximum Distortion at 10.30. That's Utah's only heavy metal show with Forgash and Cody D. Then get your rude awakening at 3 a.m. with Liz, who serves up an early morning dose of punk and ska. Listen on demand to the last two weeks of any show under the Programs tab at krcl.org. This is Alex the Astronaut. I think you're great on KRCL 90.9.